Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are a God that hears our prayers, that you're a God that answers our prayers, and you do so in a manner that brings glory to your name and brings our hearts into conforming with yours, into transforming with your heart. With your heart. I pray this morning as we look at your word that you will meet with us now, that you, by your spirit you will change our minds, change our attitudes, change our desires, and bring them in line with yours. Please connect with us tonight, uh, today by your spirit and, and transform us into the image of your son for your glory and for your glory alone. So please use me as your vessel. Uh, help me to proclaim and to, to uplift you so we all might be drawn into your presence this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last week we looked at John 16 and we looked at what Jesus told how Jesus told them certain things. He says, all these things I've told you so that you won't fall away. I've told you these things so if you do fall away, that they're going to put you out of the synagogues, that your livelihood could be threatened, there are a whole bunch of things if you follow Jesus. I've told you these things, he says. He, then he says, I told you that in me, if you remember those two words, everyone say, in me. In me, in Christ, you will have Peace. In the world, you'll have trouble. Everyone say trouble. In the world, you'll have trouble, but in him, in Christ, you will have peace. And even though we have trouble in the world, he says, do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. We move into John 17, where we have Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he, before his father, prays, and he prays specifically, and this is what's really exciting in this chapter. See, last week we looked at what Jesus told us. This week we look at what Jesus prays for us, or prays for his disciples. If you have a look just in John, we're not going to read the whole of John 17, but if you look at verse 9, Jesus says this as he's praying for his disciples. He says, I pray for them, meaning his disciples, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So he prays that for them. If you look further on down in verse 15, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So he prays for them again, that they are in the world, but not of the world, that they are not exempt from or absent of any trouble or absent of any distress, but rather in the distress, they might find their hope and their security in him. As you said last week, his peace and our peace in him. And then if you look at verse 17, he says one of those great words, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That took place in this first half of this chapter as he prays for his disciples. Now I'm going to ask my sister Vivian to come up and she's going to read from verses 20 to 26, today's passage. Thank you so much for that, Vivian. John 17, 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thank you so much, Vivian. Now, it is in verse 20, this role of intercessor, this ministry that Jesus has on our behalf takes place. He says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning not just for the disciples, not just for his 12 friends who are with him in the garden, praying with him and praying for him. Because he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You see, at this moment here, he has on his mind all the people, all those believers that come to faith in Jesus Christ through their obedience to the Great Commission. That they, as they go out in Matthew 28, verses 18 through to 20, when he says to go out and make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey the things that he has taught them. So all those people that, that went out, whether it be Thomas into India, whether it goes Peter who was crucified upside down for proclaiming the gospel, whether it was just traveling geographically, just locations and borders that were just transcended as the gospel went forth from these people who turned the world upside down. And it's gone, it, it, it's gone out and this whether it's these bold proclamations through great persecutions, through huge opposition, where through the centuries, through the multitudes of generations, through faithful servant after faithful servant, people who have held the word of God in pain of death, under threat of death, and told somebody else about Jesus, who then came to know him, who then went and told somebody else about Jesus, who came to know him, and then told, and so on, and so on, until you, until you, and until you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. For me, by Asatel Leo with a guy on the corner of Wairau Ave and Riversdale Road who stopped me on a street corner one Saturday morning in January of 1991 and shared with me the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And where I became a Christian, I actually took, my daughter took a photo. We were in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago. I said, that's where I got saved. That's, that's the corner where Jesus saved me. And my daughter goes, stop! And she took a photo. But there was that one day, and everybody here who knows Jesus Christ, everybody here who heard that beautiful message that you were a sinner condemned to death, a sinner condemned to hell, a sinner condemned to separation from God, heard this beautiful gospel, how God became a man, adorned himself in human flesh, how he lived this perfect life, how he died this horrific death, how he rose from the dead, and that whoever believes in him could be born again of the Spirit, could be made new. Could be, could be made a citizen of heaven. All of you here who've experienced that came down to one person who came up to you and told you Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. 
this is who Jesus is praying for now. He's praying for you. And he's going to be praying, this, this prayer, because today I'm looking at what Jesus prays for us. That 2,000 years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed in this verse 20. He says, I don't pray just for these disciples, but for the people that will come to know you through their faithfulness. That's Uncle Philip. That's Tom. That's Jims. That's Joyce. That's Yi. That's Francois. That's Jonah. That's Connor. Hey, Connor. These are all the people. We are the result of God's faithfulness through his people. And you know what's going to happen? God is going to use you in the life of somebody else to proclaim that same message where they would come to know him as well. That's the privilege we've been given. There's the privilege that we've been granted. So there are three things we're going to look at today of what Jesus prays for us specifically. That as he prays in Gethsemane, that as he's sweating drops of blood as he has the task that's laid before him, as he's got this huge task where he is going to be for the first time ever, from eternity past to eternity future, for the first time ever, he is going to experience complete isolation as he is separated from God the Father because of your sin. He's going to experience full loneliness of what it means to be alone, to be apart from the, 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 the perichoresis, the, the, the dance, the, the, the perfect unity that's held within the triune God. He's going to experience division from that because of us. So he's praying for us right now. And this is the first thing that he prays for us, which I think is amazing. He prays that we would be what? United. That we would be united. Read with me in verse 21. He prays this, that all of them, remember, he's praying for us, that all of us may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete Unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We are in a world today that is just riddled with division. We had the referendum on yesterday, and it was when you, when you watch it, even though the no group won, you, you, there's this still. This, this animosity, there's still this, this disunity, there is still this attitude of, of us against them that's taking place in society, and, and that's over race. But you, and I, I mentioned this last week, when you look at the tribalism that takes place online, when you find a group that agrees with you, and you'll hold to that group because they agree with you. I was talking with my kids, because I like talking to my kids, they're nice kids. But Emily and, and, and Faith were talking in the car, and were saying how, when back, so uh, I, you know you're old when you start saying back in my day, right? So back in my day, before the internet, don't laugh so hard, Tommy. But but back in my day, when I before the internet, there was there were so many people that I didn't agree with, but because they were in my community, I had to find some way to get along with them. Oh, okay then. Well, I don't like you, but 
okay, well, I've got no one else to talk to, so you'll do. So, you, you know what I mean? But you, you found a way to get along with somebody else. Today, you find someone that doesn't agree with you. What do you do? You look online and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I like this guy. I want to go with this guy. This guy supports me. And then you form this little community online with everybody that thinks the same as you, that wants the same as you, that goes the same way as you do, and then you get think, okay, and then it justifies your views, even if your views are wrong. That's what's happened today with the internet. And I think Jesus, in his foreknowledge, knowing that this is the world we're going to end up in, he prays that we as his people might be united, but not superficially, not superficially. Far more than that, a superficial united is, is me. Okay, for example, in 2011, for my 40th birthday, my wife sent me to New Zealand for the opening of the World Cup. September 10th, which is the marriage day of John and Chris, because that's why I wasn't over there to do their wedding, because my wife surprised me. I, wasn't, I didn't attend their wedding. I was supposed to do their wedding, but I got sent to New Zealand to watch a rugby game. So uh, it, was the, it was the World Cup. It was the World Cup, and it was a great opening ceremony. And, but all they say to people is, no, Joe couldn't do my wedding because he was watching rugby. That's all they say. But they don't say about the context or anything like that. But anyway, but I love them dearly, okay? But, I, but, I, but, it's, yeah, but, but it's true, it's true. But I, I, remember, I remember on the plane going over because like you had, you had Tongans, you had South Africans, you had Italians, you had, you had English, English, you had South Africans, okay? You had South Africans, you had Irish, everyone's wearing their colors. I was wearing my all black shirt and you just go in there and everybody, you saw a complete stranger, hey bro, what's up? And you start talking. There's a superficial unity that's what, why? Because we're all going to watch a rugby game. So we're on, we're on the plane over, the South African pilot, he gets on the, on, the, on the intercom and says, I'm just going to let you guys know now for everybody that's going over for the, for the World Cup that South Africa will win, so you might as well go home. And so it was, uh, which I thought was really funny. That was, that was a really good sort of thing from the South African pilot. But that was a superficial unity. You know why? I've not seen any of those people ever again for the last 13 years. I've got a photo of a Tongan guy with me, and I was like, wow, you know, he was so tall that I had to stand on a chair just so we could be, on a chair, it was a step, two steps, and it would just be the same height. He was huge. But like, and we, we, had, we had a great time, we got along, but then we moved, that was a superficial unity. And we find superficial unities all the time. Actually, you might even have a superficial unity when you come to church. I like coming to this church because I like the music. I like coming to this church because the speaker's head's shiny. I like coming to this church because they, they agree with me on certain things. I like coming to this church because I feel comfortable or whatever. And you might find a superficial unity of attending where a church might be just for you a social club, somewhere to make friends, somewhere to make connections, somewhere to hang out, something to do on Sunday. Maybe that's what a superficial unity might be. But Jesus, he says no. As he prays, he doesn't want us to be superficial. He doesn't pray for us to just be here and attend a, a building with a bunch of people that's called or labeled the church. He doesn't pray for that. When you look at the example, see, what he's praying for is carried on the verse. He says, when it comes to people, responding to people or calling people out, he says, Father, this is how he says, this is what he's, when he talks about unity, he says, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. That's the level of unity that he desires his people to have. I want to sort of make it a bit more personal. That he desires us to have. 
There is this unity between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that is perfect, perfect relationship, perfect fulfillment, perfect goal, perfect desire, perfect will, perfect heart, and they intermingle just perfectly. And as he prays, as he says, as I am in you and you are in me, I desire that you are the same, that you as his people, well, not not you, that us, that us as his people would have that same unity that goes beyond the, the fact that we like the music. That, that, that goes beyond the fact we have to meet here on a Sunday. That, that goes beyond of, of just coming alongside and hanging out with someone. He's talking about this intimacy of heart, this intimacy of desire. Because when you look at this perichoresis, when you look at this way the Father, Son, and Spirit intermingle, that's the picture we're given. Because what you see is how that they are one in purpose. See, God the Father is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So what did he do? He sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are what? That we are the sons and daughters, that we are the children of God. That's one purpose, to take the lost out of darkness and bring it into his family, to save you and I from our sin and our condemnation and set us free, to restore the relationship that man had broken and restore us to what we are originally designed for. That's their purpose. That is God's purpose. So they're one in purpose. They're one in love. Why? Because whom the Father loves, what does he do? He disciplines. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. That we might know what? The width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And that the love of the Holy Spirit will be shed abroad in our hearts that God has given to us, Romans 5.5. Do you see that? One in purpose for us. One in love toward us. And then we see this, that they are one in work with us because it is God who works in you and will... to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. For we are his workmanship created in Christ, Ephesians 2.10. And that through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, chosen to be obedient to him, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. You see, this continual unity is the standard upon which we are called to be as his people, as his children. And what I love is the fact that he has given us his spirit, he has given us his word, he has given us his people in order for us to be able to do that. That's what's exciting. He never, he, he never sets this unrealistic goal and expects us to flail around at trying to fix it, trying to get to it. No, he comes alongside, I'm sorry about that action, um, but he doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want to flame around, but he wants to come alongside us and bring to fruition this beautiful work that he started in us in Jesus Christ. He gives us everything that we all things pertaining unto life 
and godless. And, and, and this, this continual unity, if, if we are able to grasp this, if we are able to exercise this, if we are able to sort of step out of ourselves and get out of our own way and, and stop being so self-centered, I'm speaking about me, I'm speaking about me, then what happens? You see what happens when you have this unity come about in the book of Acts. Okay, if you, don't, you can turn there if you want, but I, I've just made reference to it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we have the birth of the church. What happens in the birth of the church? There is a filling of the Spirit. But you'll notice in the first couple of verses of chapter 2, what does it say? That they're all, of, they're all in one location. They're all of one mind. They're all of one heart. They were united in their desire to be with God. And what happened? The Spirit came down like a rushing wind and filled them, and they had flames of fire above their heads. That's what happened, that when there was unity, if you look at the end of chapter 2, what happens? You see what God is able to bring about through a, a people that are unified and filled with the Spirit. That's what He wants to do. He wants to fill you. We, we, and, and that starts with being united. I, I remember Pastor Tony Evans, and he made a comment, and he said about, how, how is it that the enemy is able to accomplish so much? And he said it's because they're united. And he used, I think it was Luke 7, when it asks about legion. And he says, my name's Legion. Why? Because we are many. And he says, even the enemy is united. And when the enemy is united, they tear down churches. They tear down pastors. They tear down families. And the enemy is united, and we're here arguing over... Oh, like I said, the, the color paint or the type of music or, or a whole bunch of other things, superficial things that we're not supposed to be united over or arguing over. So that's the first thing that happens. We, have, we experience a filling of the Spirit when we're united corporately and individually. What else? Deliverance. The liberation of Peter in Acts chapter 12, verses 5 to 18. You, Peter's in prison, and then God delivers Peter and the angel opens, sets him free, and he walks out, goes, and what's happening? The church is doing what in that passage? They're having a prayer meeting. They're praying. And while they're praying, Peter knocks on the door. And they say, hello, it's Peter. It can't be Peter. They're, they're, he, he's, in, he's in prison. And so she goes and tells everybody else. But once, once again, it's, I'm saying that they would have been united in prayer and in that unification of prayer, they would have experienced deliverance. You want to know how we battle the spiritual warfare? You want to know how we overcome all those things, the things that, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God? That happens when we, as the people of God, get together on our knees and pray. Pray and see what God can do. It was a blessing on Wednesday night. I would encourage you to come along. Look, we have made avenues. We have made avenues for you to attend a prayer meeting. We've made avenues. It's hard to get here at times on a Wednesday night, especially during winter. It was really cold. I must admit that. But we got the, the, the beauty of technology for, Ill, for all the problems that technology can cause, for all the tribalism it causes, there are some good things that we can do to redeem it. For like being able to put prayer meeting on, on Zoom. And so you can attend via computer if you can't make it in person. And, and honestly, there, there's no, I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man, but I will. There's no reason why you can't be at prayer meeting if we've made avenues to be there. 
We would love it if you would come along to pray, not, not for, for the lift not for me, but to pray, to pray for God's work to be done, for pray that God's church might grow, to pray that you could stand in holiness, to pray as God's witness to a world that needs Jesus. That's what we want you to pray. And, and then we could experience deliverance. We can experience the deliverance from that sin that always holds us down. Experience deliverance from, from, the, from the lust and, and from the anger and from the, the hatred and, and from the aggression that, that this world just sort of bombards us with continually. Experience that deliverance as we spend time in prayer and seeking Him in whom we find peace. That's what it is. And, and the last one, revival. Uh, you know the story of Eutychus? It's a really cool story. Paul's talking. I, I, I look now and I see it happening now because Paul's talking. He's talking for such a long time that Eutychus is falling asleep. I look now and I see people falling asleep. That's okay. It's okay. Just don't do what Eutychus did. Eutychus fell out of a window and died. Please don't do that. Okay? So just, just saying. Eutychus fell out of a window and died. Okay? And so Paul gets in, prays, and boom. Eutychus comes back to life. He's revived. God wants to bring revival around in his church. He wants to bring revival in our hearts as families. He wants to bring revival in our hearts as, as married couples. Revival in our hearts just as, as a church. And that's brought about by us. United, seeking God's will, God's heart, and God's goal in each of them. Thus, if, if unity, if unity is is, is of absolute importance for Jesus because that's the first thing he prays for us. The first thing, everyone say unity. Again, he's praying unity that we'd be united as his people. That's the first thing, which means this. Usually the first thing people mention is about the most important. He sees the value in it. Where does he see the value in that? So if it's the first thing he prays for, then it makes sense that such unity would also extend to us in the fact of the second point he prays, that we be present with him. That we're united in him, yes, but they're also present with him. For it is in Jesus that our, that our diversity finds commonality. It's in Jesus that our diversity, I'm a Samoan guy, okay? I'm a Samoan guy, and people often think I'm a visitor when they come to the church and visit. I, had, I think Nathaniel, Nathaniel was a guy who sat there when he showed up at church, and he's in the back, and he goes, oh, I came when there was a guest speaker, because he saw me with the microphone on, which I thought was really funny. I don't mind that, I don't mind that. But it's in the, the fact that I get to hang out with, 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 with Jono and, and Tommy, and I went to go pick up um, Faith from Ken's place. And you got Mel Yap and Jims, who, who gave my son some TVs. And you know, there's Francois, who was still trying to figure out a time to go hit some golf balls. And Kenny, who just, I wanted to play me something on the cello just because I think it's so cool. But there's this diversity that we have within this church, what I think is beautiful. But it's in our diversity that in Christ our commonality is found. He says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you, have, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Remember, this is Jesus' prayer for us not just the disciples, for us, and that as his children, we might be present with him. 
that we'll be where he is as his child, what I call theologically. Theologically, and I've shared this before, I've used this in terms of position. Theologically, we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ at the right hand of God the Father. That's where we are theologically, Ephesians chapter one, verse three. And that for those who follow him, that meaning you and I, if that's where we're seated theologically, we'll be with him where he is. And in being with him where he is, what's also he prays here is that we'll be honored by the Father in that. In John chapter 12, verse 26, it says this, um, whoever serves me must follow me. And he says this, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Okay, so that's us being with him theologically. That's where we are. We are in Christ. We are seated in the heavenlies. And if you read through Ephesians chapter one, which Brad's cell group, where's B-Rad? Oh, he's upstairs. Brad and Cass's cell group, they were going through Ephesians and they went through Ephesians chapter one. And you have to look at how many times in Ephesians chapter one it says in him, in Christ, in him. That's where we are theologically. But also we are to be present. We are to be with him practically two, which means this, how I conduct myself, my, my actions, my manner of life, my way of thought, my ultimate goals are in alignment with the very heartbeat of God. 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says that the love of Christ constrains me, motivates me, drives me. 1 Peter 1.15 says that he who has called he, has, he that has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Second Corinthians 10, 5, it talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into obedience or to captivity of Christ. And then you have Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God, to bring all of our life in alignment with his very heart. For it is this, I want you to be, be aware of this. Uh, I've used it before, I'll use it again because it's such a good illustration. When we did the draw near camp with Henry Earl, and Henry Earl talked about how, why do children go to mums usually? And he always says this, it's because they're there. Mums are there, mums are present, mums are always around. And so the parents often go to the mums because mums there. Not, not, not discarding dads at all, it's just because mum is there. Now here's what's really cool. It is that when we are present with Jesus that we are given the opportunity then to see clearly the gloriousness of who he is. And if if you look in, in Matthew chapter 28 verses 8 to 10, it's the glory of the risen Jesus that the women at the empty tomb saw when Jesus revealed himself to them. You know why he revealed himself to them? Because they were there. They were present. They want to be near Jesus. And so Jesus revealed himself to them. It is the glory of the resurrected Christ that stopped Paul in his tracks on the road to Damascus, the road called Straight in Acts chapter 9. Why, why did that happen? Why? Because he was walking, thinking he was doing God's work, and then God stopped him and said, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to be doing. And he was confronted. It's the glory of Jesus that conquered death 
and the grave and came to you as you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again for the glory of God the Father. Thus, Jesus, when he prays, prays for us to be with him in a similar manner. To be with him so we might witness his hand at work. To hear his voice when he speaks and respond to his leading when he prompts. There's a brother in church where him and I have decided to read through the book of Esther. Because like the last few weeks have been a, a real sort of, not so much struggle, but I've had it hard a couple, last couple of weeks, which has been really interesting. I was talking with this brother, and so we started to read through Esther. And I said to him, bro, let's read through Esther together. And because God's never mentioned in the book of Esther, let's have a look and see where we could recognize the fingerprints of God in this book, to see where God moves, to see the way God moves. And, and if we're able to see, because Esther and Mordecai and the and Israelites were going through a hard time in the book of Esther, and if we're able to identify the hand of God, the fingerprints of God through all of these actions, maybe it might help us to be able to identify the fingerprints of God in the struggles that we're going through and the hardship that we face and the good things we may experience. Maybe we can, we can train ourselves, equip ourselves with the help of God, the Holy Spirit, to be able to identify such things in our life, to witness and, and bear witness to these fingerprints that might be sprinkled all throughout our lives. And that's why, that's why I think it's so important that we, that we spend time being with Jesus. Oh, I've got this wonderful quote on my phone. Let me get my phone. Sorry, it just, it just came to me now when I, when I was thinking about it. It's, uh, it was uh, something, I, oh no, this is one of the things I do like about phones, is that you can have some really interesting things. So I've got a, I've got a, a little note thing, and whenever I read a Bible verse or read a quote that I like, I just save it and put it on this little list. And the list is I thought 30 pages, 32 pages long. Oops. Okay. But this is, it's, her, her name is Yona Weekert. I'm, I'm, it's a lady, I can't remember. But it says, the question was answered. Oh, it, it's a he, sorry. Why are you always reading your Bible? He was asked. I'm so tired, it's all I can do to stay awake. I read because I need what this book has to say to me. As a believer, it gives me strength to go through all the things we are doing right now. It was a state of need. It wasn't a state of want. It was a state of need. And that's what it is. That's for us to be uh, open to. See, this reality of us being united, this reality of us being present with Jesus, what he prays for us, being present with him, united in him, leads us to this, being informed by him. Now, I use this word versed, being versed with the idea of being in the know of something. In this case, it's about being in the know of the knowledge of God the Father. And it's to be a continued informing of that knowledge. A continued informing of God's love. And also a continued informing of God's presence too. Verse 25. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. This third prayer request of Jesus is so we could be versed in the love of God shown to us in Christ. The love that trouble or hardship 
uh, can never separate us from persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. This is something that, not, that, that we can never be separated from in Christ. It's a, it's a love that we are to grasp, as I read before, how wide and how long and how deep this four-dimensional nature of his all-encompassing love and how it surpasses knowledge that you and I might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's Ephesians chapter 3, 18 and 19. This is what he prays for us. You see, these three things, these three things Jesus prays specifically for us are needed so much more in the church today because the church is becoming more fractured rather than unified. The churches are walking away from biblical truth. People are becoming less present with Jesus because Jesus has been reduced to a life-improving, behavior-modifying seat a sit-in-the-back-seat Savior that is called upon only when trouble arises instead of the reigning sovereign King of Kings through whom all things are created and by whom all things exist. And it's because these two foundational markers of our identity as the body of Christ are absent. It's this, our unity and love our unity in purpose, and our unity in message. These things are absent. Or to sum it up, unity in general. Then it stands to reason that we would not be well-versed in the gospel. We would not be well-versed in holiness. We would not be well-versed in relating to our Savior or well-versed in relating to each other. And we won't be well-versed in fighting the spiritual warfare that we're in. That's the harsh reality. See, that's what it could be. That's where it's going for a lot of churches. But Jesus prayed that it wouldn't be. And by his spirit, it, it won't be. That's why he dwells within us. It's why his word is laid out before us. It's why his people has been placed around us. And his involvement is guaranteed to us, Philippians 1.6. And so as he prayed for us then, as our advocate, take comfort with this. He prays for us today too, as he continues that ministry on our behalf. Look at this. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, present tense, someone who pleads our case with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous, who prays for you even now. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. Present tense. Is at the right hand of God. And is, present tense, also interceding for you. He continues his ministry for us even now. Hebrews 7, 25 to 26. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Always lives. We serve a risen Savior, a Savior that lives, who always, present tense, lives 
to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Present tense, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Present tense, that is our Jesus who prays for you even now. So yes, we go through trouble. Yes, we we experience hardship, but know this, Your Savior is with you. Your Savior has not only fought for you, but fights for you even now and prays for you that you would experience the beauty of who He is. And so I would encourage you. I would challenge you. I would bless you by saying, be with Jesus who prays that we might be united and well-versed in our relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who has prayed for us that we as your people might be united. We as your people might be present with you. We as your people would be versed, well-versed in our relationship with you. And so we come before you now as the recipients of your prayer, And I ask that you will work in each of our hearts to help us to die to self, to surrender our lives, our wills, our hearts and minds to you and allow you to continue your reign, not only over this universe, but in each of our lives. I pray for those of us that as prayed by Pam, that are in the valleys even now, that they would see the greatness of of your involvement in their lives that you are praying for them, that you are pleading their case to God the Father, that you are actively involved in shaping and molding and changing each of us to be more like yourself. So I pray that you will help these people in the valley to, to experience the greatness of who you are. For those of us that are actually on the summits now, that you would help us to, to give all glory and all acknowledgement and all praise to you because you alone are worthy. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and ask that you will continue this wonderful work you started, not only in each of our lives, but in this church, in Grace Christian Church, and that you will add to your church as you have promised, as we shine as lights for you and take this message of of unity, of presence, of, of being versed to a world that truly does need you. So we thank you and we ask for you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.